So this morning, uh, we have a couple more passages that we're going to be going through today and then uh, over the next uh, probably month or so yet um, of people's favorite passages uh, that people chose last fall. Um, and we're, this morning, we're going to actually focus on what might appear as a Christmas passage. And it could be. It's been used at Christmas time. But it could also be preached in the middle of the May. Um, and so when a passage that is typically used in a particular season is preached kind of what we might think out of season, it can be interesting the different perspective that one takes. So this morning we're going to read from Matthew 1, verses 18 through 21. And uh, it's about how the birth of Jesus came about. Matthew 1, 18 through 21. We begin at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. That's the text for this morning, verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is applicable in season and out of season. And may this reading of the Gospel of Matthew have been a blessing to each of us, and particularly as we read the purpose of the birth of Christ. Bless the proclamation of the Word, and through your Spirit, open our hearts and minds to what you're speaking to each of us today, and how that impacts our life, not only during this time of worship, but beyond this time of worship. It is in the name of Jesus we pray this. Amen. So did you pick up on how the prayer that was just prayed ended in the name of Jesus. Verse 21, our text this morning stated that Mary will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. In ancient times, names meant something. And often a mentioned name represents something. The name Herod in ancient times would have represented evil. People would have heard that and they probably would have cringed. Similar to the days of the early church, names today mean something and represent something. When we hear certain names, we get a sense perhaps of what that name or that person is all about. Especially names that represent power or popularity. We can say names and things will enter into your mind. We can say the name Trump or Trudeau, or Kim Jong-un, or Eminem, or Drake, or Skrillex, Princess Diana, and now maybe the name Archie. See? It comes to mind. That was the baby of the royal couple. 
When names are mentioned, certain things enter into our minds. Now, sometimes positive things, sometimes negative things, and certain characteristics and attributes come to, to the forefront of our mind. But what about the name of Jesus? What enters your mind when you hear Jesus? Just think about that for a moment. Jesus. You have to understand that Jesus, Son of God, was not the only person that was given the name of Jesus. There were other babies crawling and running around with the name baby Jesus. What I mean is that there are other babies and adults with the name Jesus. This name was not an uncommon name. This name was not unique. But what was unique was that this baby, this Jesus, the baby to be born from Mary, was the only Jesus that was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. This Jesus, the baby to be born from Mary, was the only Jesus named by God. This Jesus was not just any other Jesus or just any child that was born into the world. This Jesus was sent into this world by God, as God, with a divine purpose. Now, names in this time period were usually hereditary. And people were often named after a relative. So Jesus could have easily been named Joseph Jr., or any other name that uh, could have been important to their family. And the parents usually give the names. Naming of a male child usually took place on the eighth day at the time of circumcision. Often naming a child was to point out perhaps a character that maybe the parents were already aware of, or, or a hope for character, or the destiny of the person. But here, Joseph was told by an angel of God, that this unborn child, this unborn baby, this unborn boy was to be named Jesus. When women were expected, expecting, they didn't have the technology back then also to determine the sex of the baby. It was nearly impossible to know. And yet Mary and Joseph are told that a boy will be born. And they're told that this boy's name is going to be Jesus. In this situation, God is already demonstrating his relationship to the unborn child. God is the Father, and this child shall have the name Jesus. Jesus is a Greek name. The Hebrew equivalent is, uh, to Jesus is Joshua. And we have some Joshuas among us in the congregation. And the meaning of the name is to rescue, to deliver, to save. And so Matthew goes on to state in verse 21 that the unborn boy, he's going to be called Jesus because he will save his people from sins. This Jesus, conceived and named by God, was the only Jesus that could possibly live up to the true meaning of his name. This Jesus will save people from their sins. This Jesus died on the cross. No other Jesus in all of history could do this. So this name of Jesus is the name that we call upon. So again, the question is asked, what comes to your mind when you hear 
the name of Jesus. Recall that we pray in the name of Jesus. John 14, 13, and 14, we read that there is power in the name of Jesus. We can ask for anything in the name of Jesus. Philippians 2, verse 10, Paul states that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Acts 4, verse 12, we read that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. If we did not have Jesus, we would not be able to stand before the throne of God. Congregation, the name of Jesus is powerful. And when we state Jesus' name, may his name represent an awe and a power and a majesty and salvation for each one of us. Jesus came to save. He came to save his people from their sins. Now the word save is not a word that we should be taking for granted. This word save here is actually quite a radical word. And we often use this word too easily today. Like, oh, I saved myself some money. Or I, I saved this, this document into the, into, on the computer. Or you saved me from making a fool of myself. But save here is way bigger. It's not about saving someone who needs a little help and, and maybe somebody who could even help themselves. It's not about... Rather, it is about saving someone who cannot help themselves at all. When a person is unable to do anything themselves, this person needs to be saved. A person who has stopped breathing needs to be saved. A person who is drowning needs to be saved. Without Jesus, sinners cannot be saved. And Scripture assures us and convicts us that we have all sinned and that none of us, nobody here, not one person here is righteous. In fact, 1 John 1, 8 states, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive, our, deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So let's all admit that we have sin. Next, we need to admit that we cannot save ourselves. We all have sin and none of us are righteous on our own. Then our inclination, our human tendency is to continue in that life. And our inclination is to not gravitate towards a holy God. So if that's the situation, we're totally unable to save ourselves. We're the ones drowning in our sins. I think next too we have to also admit that the law cannot save us. And then we actually read this in this passage, that Joseph was faithful to the law. And what that means is that the law of Moses clearly and expressly ordered that an engaged virgin, if she had sex with another man, that she should be stoned along with this other man. You can read that in Deuteronomy 22. And this virgin Mary was expecting, and it wasn't Joseph's. Mary had stayed with Elizabeth, her relative, for about three months. And then she returns to Nazareth, where Joseph resides. And she is, Scripture says, she is found to be pregnant. That doesn't mean that she was trying to hide it from anybody. But basically now, by being found, the news was out. At least it was out to Joseph. And it's likely not public knowledge yet, because Joseph was still, as this pastor says, still able to divorce her privately. Keep in mind, they weren't married. But engagement was a serious commitment and meant a divorce. Joseph and Mary were teenagers. And so here we have Joseph, 
a teenager who receives the news that his life partner, hoping it is life partner, Mary, he receives the news that she's pregnant. They're not yet married. He knows the baby's not his. And Mary probably shares that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph is probably one disappointed teenager. He loved this lady. He was going to marry her, spend their, his life with her, and now she's gone and done this and even blames the Holy Spirit. Joseph was a righteous man. He was righteous on account of keeping the law. The law is what the Old Testament folks had. So in following the law, he would officially divorce Mary. Because at this point, Joseph figures she's committed adultery. And he doesn't want to create a scene for fear that she then would be stoned to death, according to the law. So Joseph didn't want to see anything harm, any harm come to his fiance. And so he's going to divorce or break off the engagement quietly. So you see, it is interesting how the Jewish letter of the law, the law was clear, written in the scriptures, is not always the same as the spirit of the law. It's interesting to note that the biblical rules change over time due to cultural changes. The law would state that Mary is to be stoned in this situation. However, we're not always presented with normal situations before us, are we? The point here is the law does not save. It doesn't save us. In fact, the law condemns Romans 2, verse 25 and following. You can read that. By law, Mary would have been stoned. She would have been condemned. An unborn Jesus has already saved her life. And he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. So God put this plan into motion that he sent his son to save his people from their sins. Jesus has the power from God to save people from their sins. Jesus is the name above all names who is the only one who can save us from our sins. This soon-to-be baby lying in a manger was sent by God to save people from their sins. He's to be the rescuer, the deliverer, the savior of his people. And he's the only one that can do that. He can only do what nobody else can do, what no law can do. Save us. From all our sins. So, as we move on in several years of this gospel story, Jesus went to the cross. We remembered and celebrated his death on the cross a few weeks ago on Good Friday. This baby that Mary carried, and Joseph was to name Jesus, was part of a plan that was to include his death. And it was the death at the cross that brought salvation for our sins. His death at the cross brought life for his people. At the cross, Jesus, our Jesus, took our place. In fact, he didn't just take our place but he took upon himself all our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21, we read that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus saving us from our sins brought us from helpless sinners to righteous saints. He did something that we possibly couldn't do. He did something that the law couldn't do. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you want to be condemned, yes, follow the law. You want to be saved, you follow Jesus and respond 
in thanksgiving and gratitude and obedience to his will. He didn't abolish the law. He fulfilled the law. Now, who are those in Christ Jesus? Who are his people that this verse talks about and states? Well, in our Reformed Confessions, we profess that Jesus' death was sufficient enough to save the whole world. But as this verse states, he came to save his people from their sins. Matthew 1.21 is fulfillment of the Psalm 130, where the psalmist cries out to put your hope, to put your trust, to put your hope in the Lord Jesus, because he has redeemed Israel from all their sins. In the Old Testament... Jesus was the promised Savior for Israel. In the New Testament, Jesus is Savior for his people. It goes beyond Israel. And his people, who are they? They're sinners. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Salvation is not in any one of us. Salvation is from the Lord. And you can read that throughout the Old Testament. In 1 Corinthians 1.21, Paul talks about Jesus saving those who believe. Having heard Jesus' purpose and his calling now, Having heard what he has done for you, the question now is, are you one of his people? And I think that question can best be answered with a few more questions. Are you a sinner? Do you recognize that you are unable to save yourself? And because of that, you need a savior. That you need a Savior to save you from drowning from all your sins. If so, then repent and believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to Jesus. Have faith in Jesus. That by grace you have been saved. That his amazing grace, we sang that amazing grace, my chains are gone. Amazing grace has saved you. And may that be expressed in our lives as we live out that salvation on a daily basis. Not just believing that this is a nice thought, that Jesus is a nice name, but when we hear the name of Jesus, we have faith and believe, and we live out by being transformed, transformed rather, more and more into his likeness and that we continue to follow his will. And may we too cry out what Paul taught us to cry out in Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God our Father. And together we say, Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, Son of God, Son of Man, Savior of your people. We praise you and we bless you and we thank you that you are the one who seeks and saves the lost sinners. Convict us through your Spirit that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Convict us that we're not able to save ourselves from our sins. Convict us that you are the name above every name and the name that saves us from our sins. Provide faith to those who have difficulty believing this and increase our faith to grow in a deeper relationship with you and to live transformed lives each and every day, not just putting on a front on Sundays, but that you are Lord and Savior each and every day of the week. We pray this in the name of Jesus.
our Lord and our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen.